0: Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Baxi's Musical Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to it, like it, share with everyone you know, and if you can leave a big fat review, that would be awesome too. And make sure you check out Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook for regular updates on what's coming up next on future episodes. Today's episode is brought to you by Metro Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, and Chicopee. Visit Metro's state-of-the-art dealership right near BJ's and Big Y Memorial Drive in Chicopee, or visit Metrojeep.com and drive home in your brand new Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram today. What is it? What is it? It's Rexy's musical podcast. In 1957, Jim Stewart and his sister Estelle Axton formed Satellite Records in a garage in Memphis, Tennessee. Originally, this was a record label that released country, pop, and rockabilly singles. But within four years, Satellite Records would rebrand itself and focus primarily on Memphis soul and R&B. The name of this new company was called Stax Records. And within a short period of time, Stax would become one of the most important and respected record labels in America. Stax was producing hits for Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, Isaac Hayes, Wilson Pickett, Albert King, Booker T and the MGs, the Staple Singers, and dozens of others. Part of the success of this record label was not only the fact that the house band was Booker T and the MGs, but throughout most of their productive years, Stax employed a stable of incredible songwriters who were responsible for some of the most fantastic singles ever recorded. Songwriters like Eddie Floyd, William Bell, Mac Rice, Carla and Rufus Thomas, and many others. And while you may not recognize those names, there's a very good chance that you may remember their music. Over the years, Stax would go through many changes, changing hands multiple times, facing bankruptcy and ceasing operations in spite of several attempts to revive itself. Last year, Kraft Recordings, a reissuing subsidiary of Concord Records, which revived the Stax label yet again, released an amazing seven-CD box set entitled Written in Their Soul, The Stack Songwriter Demos. This is a gorgeous box set that not only brings the music of Stack Records back into the spotlight, it focuses on the demo recordings of the original songwriters, performing with all the passion and emotion that the songwriters intended these songs to be. The result is amazing. And this is why the Written in Their Soul box set was just awarded a pair of Grammys, including best historical album the box set was compiled and produced by my very good friend cheryl pavelski from omnivore recordings this is cheryl's fourth grammy having won previously on some amazing project that included hank williams senior wilco and fred rogers however during all of that success this was a project that took cheryl more than 17 years to complete in a few minutes you're going to hear exactly why Cheryl Pavelski and I have known each other for nearly 40 years. She is an extraordinary woman with perhaps the deepest passion for music of anybody that I have ever known. And as a fellow college classmate, I can tell you that I am hardly the only Marquette university graduate that shares an enormous sense of pride in Cheryl's amazing accomplishments. And we're going to talk about that and the box set and the Grammys and about some of the latest releases that are coming out of omnivore recordings. It is always a pleasure to welcome back. My very good friend, the incredible Cheryl Pavelski from Omnivore Recordings on Baxy's Musical Podcast. I'm so glad to have you back. I really am. I know the last time we talked, I, I threatened to contact you every time you won a Grammy <laughs>
1: And... It was the first thing that came to mind uh when they called our name. I thought, oh <laughs> crap, I gotta talk to Mike <laughs> Paxendale again. <laughs> I, I hope that wasn't
0: the first thing on your mind, but yeah you know, <laughs> no. I'm glad you cut no, it. I them. thought,
1: oh great, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was already I was ready for you this time. <laughs> good,
0: good. You've now won four of these things. Um 10, yeah. or, ten or twelve more, and you and Taylor Swift are neck and neck. So you're really She's
1: hard to catch. I don't know. Ha- she runs. She runs faster than I do.
0: You're you're, you're going <laughs> at a hell of a clip, Cheryl. You really are. Tell me about uh about that night. I mean, you you're up against a you know some pretty good competition to get nominated and then to to win a, again. I mean, what does it feel like to go through? You know, because I mean, you're pouring your heart and soul into this project, and you win and, and get the recognition that this particular box set really deserved. What what does that feel like? Yeah.
1: Well, each one is really different, you know, because they they all have sort of different histories and stories and trajectories as to how they came to be Mm. and but this one you know this one um, there were a couple of projects I started when I was at uh, I worked at Concord and um, this is one of them and they took me both 17 years to complete So, um, yeah, so this was, this was a sweet one. Also the art pepper box set that we just put out last year, this one right here, Mm -hmm. um, that, um, that was, I, I started those two when I was at Concord and I was only at Concord for a year and change. So, um, you know, both of those date back 17 years. And, and this one is, was especially special (laughs) if I can say that, um, because, Miss Deanie Parker, who was an original uh, employee of Stax, songwriter at Stax, artist at Stax, and then longtime publicist at Stax, CEO of the Soulsville Foundation, which is the foundation that oversees the charter school and the Stax Museum in Memphis. I mean, her whole life has been um, Stax. And during the pandemic, after I had finished going through all of the audio, and I know we'll get to all of that, but. I, I called her and I said, Dini, I, I finished this project. And she's like, you got to be kidding me, <laughs> you know, because I'd been after her for years about this stuff. And early on, she had given me um her, the demos that she had, which was great. But, I, you know, I don't think anybody expected that this would ever get done. So it was extra sweet because Dini agreed to be my co-producer. She agreed to co-write the liner notes with Robert Gordon, who um, produced the documentary on stacks and also has written a book on stacks and, um, you know, to, to see her front and center ex, you know, giving two acceptance speeches, that was awesome. You know, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm resistant to call it like, you know, one of those sort of career defining things, although I suppose it is, I, I, I hate that because I'm like, Oh, but there's so much left to be done <laughs> You know, <laughs> but, um, but this this one was uh, one for the ages, so it, it it was extra special for a lot of reasons.
0: You know, I have been listening to it for the last couple of weeks, and mm-hmm. um, it's absolutely amazing. You know what this box set really represents, and I think the thing that I that I appreciated the most is knowing you as I do, and for as long as I have, I hear Cheryl Pavelski all over it, and and by that <laughs> and by that I mean. I know of very few people who are are touched by music in quite the way you are. And I ha- I mean, I'm, and I'm visualizing you sitting in front of all this audio and just being, you know, just so powerfully moved by what is being presented to you. And because mm-hmm. I mean even as a listener, without the 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 same connection that you have, I found, you know, some of these songs at at at, at times to be really very emotional because you're yeah, you're really hearing what the songwriter wanted to represent in these songs. And right. I think that's just a fascinating aspect of the, of the, the entire project. T- tell me uh, about that and what, and what that's was meaning to you as you're, as you're sifting through all of this amazing music. Well,
1: it's, you know, sifting is the right word because um, the, the demos were after they were recorded, you know, they, they were likely on tape or acetates originally. Right. And, they got filed with the publisher. The publisher copyrights the songs and and they they look after um the composition, whereas the record companies look after the sound recording. And a song can be recorded a zillion different times, but it's still the same song, right? Sure. So the publisher that's their job. like their job is to go out and and get. It used to be like sort of Tin Pan Alley, right? Like get cuts, right? You, the, you'd have these guys shopping songs, and the demo, which is what these these stacks recordings are, they're the songwriter demos. They're the essence of the song, and but I had to surface them out of all of this material because the original tapes or acetates or whatever they were were taken by the publisher in the late '80s and with all of their other publishing demos. So there was all this stuff mixed in with all of these. And, you know, they they just randomly archived them to DATS, which is digital audio tapes They're these little things. Um, those DATS started going bad sometime in the 90s, probably late 90s. Then they laid all the DATS onto drives. and But they never sorted anything, you know? It was just sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, we've got that stuff in our archives. And so they gave me a range of drives to go through, and that's what took me so long <laughs> I had to. I had because you know it, it's not like they were all well indexed, and you know, oh, this is this artist or songwriter singing this song, and you can just skip ahead. They were just big globs of audio, and so I had to pull out the things that I thought were stacks demos. Hmm. So there was thousands of hours of audio. And so I do it on planes, and you know, in my spare time, and you know, because in, <laughs> since I started this project, I also I, I went from working at Concord, then to Rhino, then to starting my own company and doing all of this other stuff. But you know, the the first song I I heard when I just sort of nudged in there, the first stacks demo that I heard was, it wasn't Wilson Pickett thing, singing six three four five seven eight nine, it was Steve Cropper and Eddie Floyd. And it was raw. It was just raw. And I'm like, Ooh, I want to hear more of this. And so as I was going, you know, anytime I, I despaired and thought, Ugh, I don't need to hear any more Broadway show tunes for shows that never happened. You know, I mean, that's the kind <laughs> of stuff that was in there, but every now and then I would just find a gem and there are so many gems.
0: There's tons. Yeah. of them. And, and as I'm going deeper into, you know, each track, I'm going, oh my God, it, this this had to be just the longest process in the world to to go through all. <laughs> well, I mean, there's seven it's CDs. It's so compelling, you know. It, well, it's very compelling. I mean, you're talking about nearly 150 demos, uh, yeah. and many of which have never been heard in that form before. And and like I said, I mean, you're talking about songwriters like you know Eddie Floyd and you know Homer Banks yeah. and you know Mac Rice, and you you I mean you could yeah. go on and to hear them sing these songs with the emotion, yeah. The, the same emotion that they wrote the songs in and, and try to interpret that in their own way without producers or your other artists. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting to, to listen to, like you say, the, the very essence of, of each track it's, 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 it's yeah. phenomenal.
1: Well, and the other thing, you know, like some of them are just, you know, at home on a boom box kind of, or, you know, Betty Crutcher, her, her, um her tape recorder is in the um, Stacks museum now. And it's, it's a little reel to reel has a little mic you know, um, but some of them were fully fleshed out recordings because when when Stax was at the height of its power, the publishing company and the, the studio and record company, they were all in the same building and um what miss parker was saying is oh yeah if somebody was just you know there was a session happening down here but over in b there might be like somebody laying down a demo and they would come out and say hey sing back up you know or you know steve cropper is just hanging out on the couch and you know you pull him in to do kind of a head arrangement on something and that's what what you're hearing here so you're hearing the essence of the song and sometimes you're just hearing these great great musicians playing off the top of their head just to, so somebody can lay down their, their song and, and pitch it to, you know, anybody from the staple singers to William Bell to, you know, Otis Redding, whoever, yeah. you know,
0: to give people a, a, a brief understanding of what stacks is all about. I mean, <laughs> blah, blah. I mean no, no, no. I mean, it, it it's, you know, you, you can say, well, that sounds a little bit like Motown or, or you know, other, you know other your know, record companies there's some similarities of course but stacks is a, is a company it started in a garage in memphis and within a couple of years it rebrands itself as as stacks from from satellite records but then it goes through this period where yeah. it's it's hit after hit after hit and then over the course of time you know they start to have their own issues with you know other agreements that they made that may have worked out may not I've, have worked out the idea that this was that there was this much music and still in shape enough to to record, it's pretty interesting. Tell me a little bit about the 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 importance of stacks, though, over the course of time. You know, from sixty from what was it fifty seven to nineteen eighty. That's really where their where their biggest yeah. you know block is.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I I kind of always refer to it as as um the the audio history of civil rights in America. Mm-hmm. You know, and um you know Miss Parker marched with. Dr. King, you know, I they they were very involved uh, with civil rights and really important, you know, be, beside you know, I mean Motown had its its slickness and its factoriness and everybody loves those songs, but you know, f- for me Stax was always just sort of the heart and soul of that era and the civil rights movement. You know, the representation, you know, the Watch Stax film, you know, to to see places place as huge as that stadium in Los Angeles, just filled with people and, you know, Rufus Thomas up there doing the chicken, <laughs> the funky chicken. You know, it's, it's, um it's, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, I know that we lived through that era, but we were so young, but it, you know, it was, I think it was imprinted on everybody that, that went through that time. And I think that these songs, they reflect that in a way, you know, yeah. I, when I, when I hear these songs, especially staple singers, you know, when, yeah. when you hear, when you hear those songs, it's, it's not like I remember them all that well from being a kid, but um you know, they've been sort of ever present in, in my life. So I th- I think, you know, just in, in U S history, you know, there's, there's this inflection point and Stax was really at the heart of it so it's 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 really culturally
0: important i was watching the uh the the craft records youtube channel and it had uh-huh. this uh <laughs> i know because you know when when i research i want to get you know as deep in the weeds as i possibly could and there was this great sure. there was this great series of videos where they had eddie floyd henderson Thinkpen, pen deanie parker and uh, bobby Manuel oh, yeah. sitting together talking about stacks and you know yeah. a- about the 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 atmosphere of the place and you just get the sense that you know they are so they are all so grateful to have been a part of it and that it it really is like an extension of of who they are to have been not just as writers but to be to have been a part of all this music and I mean you just you just get the sense that the this is all overwhelming to them to finally have their interpretations out there and 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 being appreciated as they are it must mean so much to them
1: well, it's uh, you know we we did the record release party last summer in Memphis, and we uh, at the at the Stacks Museum had we had uh, Mr. William Bell, Mr. Eddie Floyd, Mr. Henderson Thigpen, uh, uh, Mr. Bobby Manuel, Robert moderated, and uh, Miss Parker was there as well, and then me. You know, I'm like the big, you know, the big toe sticking out of, you know, the sock. <laughs> you know, it's just, like, what am I doing up here? You know, but um, at least Robert's from Memphis, you know, but um, it was um, so powerful. You know, um, uh, Mr. Thigpen's daughter came up to me to thank me afterwards and just said, you know, uh, you know, you, you've just done a wonderful thing for my dad. And I'm like, you know, I'm just yeah. like...
0: Well, you know, the, the <laughs> thing about it is, you know, you know, songwriters, you know, they're kind of the forgotten heroes in, in a lot of ways, yeah. especially when it comes to, you know, these kinds of uh, writing situations like in the 50s and 60s where, you know, you had songwriters and you had artists and you had producers and then everybody else. In the, right. And everything was was separate and, and very rarely was a songwriter allowed to record their own music. And, you know, to have these people finally get their due. And, you know, they're, I mean, they're the ones pouring their hearts out on their sleeves in some of these songs. Sure. I have to believe that someone like, uh, like Mr. Thigpen just feels just so validated by all of yeah. this attention. And then to have it be a Grammy award-winning boxing.
1: Like, oh, <laughs> well, I, I sure hope he's having fun with it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, um, it, it was, it was remarkably touching. And, and actually during that presentation, Robert, Uh, you know we played a couple songs here and there and they the writers commented on them and talk this this was this was a career moment for me the audience um so he starts playing mac rice's very primitive demo of respect yourself right it's that chunka 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 and on that out of tune guitar (laughs) and um so we're listening along we're listening along and we come to the chorus and the audience extemporaneously unprompted Sings the background vocals, the na <laughs> na 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 na, you know, <laughs> and I just, you know, again, I'm I'm just a big crying <laughs> mess. It was ridiculous. I, I it was it was so so surprising and and so wonderful. I mean, this project has been filled with those sorts of moments, and um, you know, culminating in in these two Grammy wins and it's hard to get it's hard for me to get perspective on it but I can say that you know it's um the heart that I intended it to have it has and it's big and vast and overflowing and to have that reflected back to me I think that's the puzzling part you know I'm like I felt that when I was working on it I'm like oh yeah, this is this is the stuff. <laughs> and,
0: and, and that's and that's why I say I, I could feel Cheryl Pavelski all over it because I <laughs> because I, I I know the kind of you know, music listener you are. I mean, you, know, you and I are, are, are similar in, in some ways, but I mean, I think your passion goes way beyond what mine is. And, and then to have access to this stuff is, is really very, very special. What, what would you say would have was like the biggest surprise moment in, in going through this entire project?
1: Oh boy um you know it 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 was so it was a little bit like a Rubik's cube, you know um this one and and last year and I, I know they're back to back Grammys, but the Yankee hotel Foxtrot thing, right yeah, both of them I was trying to figure out how to make them organized for a listener and functional for a listener and and digestible for a listener. And there was just this enormous amount of material for for both of them. And so both of them were these puzzles. And um, the biggest, most surprising moment on the Stacks one was realizing, once I was able to identify the songs and the people who were performing them, and the songwriters, because I didn't have this information, right? It was all I had to research it, excavate it backwards, right? Right. I realized how much material had never been cut, Mm. right? It had never been recorded and released. And that's when I had those three discs, the last three discs of the set are all songs that to the best of any of our knowledge never got recorded, um, much less released by anybody. So there was this just enormous amount of material that was just left. It wasn't even on the cutting room floor. It just it never even made it to the yeah. floor. And, um, and the, the
0: quality and, 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 and of they're, the song. yeah, they're all great songs. I I, I felt that great. when I was going through those last two CDs too. It was like wow, these. I mean, how amazing that these songs are are, are existing in the world and no one's ever heard them. Amazing. To yeah. Them. Yeah.
1: And you know, and some of the performances. You know, there there are a couple of um, tracks where we had two demos you know there's a song too much sugar for a dime and there's a homer banks version and then there's a betty crutcher version and the betty crutcher version you know has background vocals and everything it it sounds slightly unfinished so i think it may technically be an outtake from her one solo record Mm. but both of them you know the, the song is so awesome i'm like that was that should have been a hit yeah you know and why wasn't that on betty's record why wasn't that on anybody's record? <laughs> you
0: know. You know the, the one thing we haven't well, we haven't talked about this is, uh, is is Booker T and the MGS and yeah. the importance that they had in stacks. And you know you keep you know as as you go through this, the stories over and over again, you keep hearing Steve Cropper's name over and over and over again yep. about how really essential he was to not only this yeah. record company but just in, in music in general. That uh, yeah. you know, Cropper's influence is really just like undeniably deep.
1: Yeah, all the guys in that band. I mean, they were, for all intents and purposes, at certain points, the house band. You know, yeah. so if they were, they were there. You know, I I know Miss Parker wrote a lot with with Mister Cropper, and um, you know, they 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 turned out a couple hits, and I I think that you know, talking about the writers. You know they were they were the ones cashing the checks though, right? sure because um you know they they get their songwriter royalties whether they're out you know beating themselves up on the road or not you know, and I think that that that's sort of the eventual reason I think Deanie took a job and you know at and kept writing but um took a job at Stacks. she she said, man, I want to be out on the road that's that's no life for me yeah, but um you know, she kept writing so you know it's it's The writers were a special case, but I have to say with most of them, I really, like, I don't understand why there was never Homer Banks records. The guy sang great.
0: Yeah, he had a great voice.
1: Amazing. But, you know, he just didn't become the artist. He was a hell of a songwriter, though. Yeah. You know? Amazing.
0: I I don't want to focus purely on on the box set as as great as it is, because there's some other really interesting (laughs) stuff coming up through Omnivore, which I think is really cool, too. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean I wanted to you know pivot back to, you know, to your own company here cuz you know, the longer I do this podcast and the, and the more I talk to people who have released stuff through Omnivore and and you, and you're mm. talking everybody through, you know, Scott McCoy and Roger Manning, Thomas Walsh, and we've talked about, you know, most of those guys before, you know, they all whenever I I mentioned your name and the fact that, you know, we've known each other for, you know, almost Forty years or whatever it's been—that's oh, you know, that's creepy. I know it is creepy, <laughs> but but you know they all have, they all share the same you know sense of respect for for you <laughs> and and for this company, and uh, I, you know I don't know if they ever get the chance to share their appreciation with you. But even even when Omnivore releases something new, it's usually because Omnivore and particularly you know you and your staff really truly believe in it which mm-hmm. is you, you don't always get that <laughs> at you know, a record company where, you know, they're just, they're releasing stuff that they're, they, they truly are behind and, and support. That's, that right. is kind of an unusual thing about the music business in general.
1: Uh, the music business is, you know, follow for all intents and purposes, um, no longer, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but, um, it's 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 not easy these days being a record company. So, it, it you know we try not to put out new records, and 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 the reason is I really don't want to mess up anybody's chance. But the problem is there's so few labels out there that they're all overwhelmed. Same with management companies and booking agents and and all of that sort of stuff. You know the the infrastructure of our business is pretty much gone, and so it's 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 hard. It's so hard to say no all the time, but but you know I'm like believe me, it's for your own good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so I I try not to do that stuff. I, there there are audiences that we speak to um, where I know we have a better shot. You know, we really are a, a catalog historical company, and um, we're that intentionally. You yeah. know, I know where to find the audience for New Riders of the Purple Sage. I I don't know where to find a new audience for a new artist or sometimes even an audience for an older artist, because, you know, we just don't, we're, we're not, we're not the bank that the majors are where they can just throw money at stuff,
0: you know? But when you talk about, you know, the historical part of it, you know, like one Mm -hmm. of the things that, that that left out at me is the the record for Terry Adams from NRBQ. NRBQ has got a huge following in here in New England and and always has, and always been very supportive of when, Terry decides to get the band back together, whatever form that may that may yeah. be. This this record, yeah. uh terrible. I was listening to terrible. it the other day. It's 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 funny that's called terrible because it's actually really very good. It's a very eclectic. It's awesome. <laughs> it really is. It's a very yeah. eclectic sounding record.
1: Well, Terry, ter- Terry's funny because um yeah, I love him and I love the band. I love the old band, I love the new band, I love everything in RBQ, right? <laughs> so he is he always has an open door here. And he had done that record. Uh there was a gentleman who worked at Nunsuch for a long time that I worked with, uh, named Artie Moorhead. And he's no he's 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 no longer there. But back before he was working at Nunsuch, um I think it was called New World Records. Mm-hmm. And that's that's who Terry originally made this for. And it's so funny because I I didn't know Artie, you know, I why would I have gone and to look up Terry's solo work with New World Records? You know, I, I had the record, I had Terrible, but I didn't know it was that already my 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 later day friend's <laughs> insistence that that uh, or or invitation that Terry made this record. And I'm so glad he did. And I, you know, the the people that he chose to be on there, you know, part of the sunrod gang and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's really a wonderful record. And so, you know, when Terry's like, I would like to put out terrible i'm like fantastic <laughs> you know um i really you know i hope people who aren't hip to nrbq and terry adams really just buy all their records you
0: really get a <laughs> but you really get a sense of his musicianship uh and, oh my god and on this record i mean he's i mean he's just a phenomenal musician
1: yeah, yeah. I, all the guys in the band past and present yeah. you know they are phenomenal they are brilliant And that's why you know this is just this is just another piece in the ongoing story of that brilliance, you know. So um, I just, if you like music at all and have a pulse, you should buy all of those (laughs) records, all of them.
0: (laughs) One one of the other things I was listening to, and you know, and I can't say that I have an overwhelmingly large exposure to to gospel, but you guys uh, released the the mighty clouds of joy. Picking, yeah. which I th- and when i'm listening to it i was like really enjoying it yeah and i know this band uh, the mighty clouds of joy are, are very significant and have and have a history tell me a little bit mm-hmm. about about them because i i know it's not just a another gospel record it's, it really is something pretty right. special
1: well it was started they were starting to cross over right they they had been um much maligned as uh uh sort of a a gospel group. What were they calling them? Like the gospel Elvises, because, you know, they, they wore, you know, sort of disco gear by the seventies. Right. Right. And, and they were having crossover pop hits. And, um, you know, I, I love the, I I love when two forms of music crossover, I think you get really special things, you know, two very pure sources, uh, uh, of music. I, that's why I love bands like, airport convention all the way through the Waterboys, right? You're taking traditional music and mixing it up with with the rock and the roll, right. <laughs> um, and in in some ways, you know, the gospel crossover material is is just amazing. and and you know, I I mean, you you can talk about, Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace. you can talk mm-hmm. about you know all kinds of things all the way through Mighty Clouds of Joy, Blind Boys of Alabama, all of this stuff, right. So as soon as these things start mixing it up a little bit, I think you get really special records. and um, I've been on a little bit of a um a, a disco soul r and b bender mm-hmm. so when when <laughs> I saw that this record was was possible for us to reissue i I thought that is cool. There's some really good stuff on there. So, you know, it's, uh, we, we meander through the genres and, and, you know, <laughs> find interesting things to do.
0: <laughs> you and I have talked a, a lot in the past about, uh, our, you know, our shared appreciation for, uh, for big star and you guys have released the third, uh, sister lovers, uh, record and, yeah. you know, Chilton and, and, uh, and Chris Bell, but you've also <laughs> just released Van Duren and the, uh, the good question. And this is a guy who, oh, yeah. with you know, with a lot of connection with Big Star and at one point nearly joined them, mm-hmm. I think, during that third record. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I don't I don't know enough about him, but as I'm listening to it, I, it was really, really good. It was a really good record.
1: Yeah, no, he's he's exceptional. He still plays in Memphis. Um, yeah, you know, he was good friends with with all those guys. And, um, you know, I just sort of, you know, like all things Memphis, um, just sort of met him very organically throughout this entire process. And he's just a, he's just a stellar human and just a wonderful guy and um, still making great records. And uh, when he was able to get his first two solo records back, he called and um, I'm, I'm so glad we were able to do those and and the soundtrack to the documentary. There were, um, you should, if, if, If you can i think it's streaming now actually the um the the documentary we did the soundtrack for it there were uh two gentlemen from australia that fell in love with van's first uh solo record and um just went bananas and made a documentary about him so definitely check that out but um yeah van called me middle of last year and said so i've got this live thing and um I think it was it was 1992. I was like, man, man, that's 92. That's and then he sent it to me and I was like, okay, (laughs) it's so good. He's just so good. And his songs are just just absolutely wonderful. So um, but yeah, waiting the Van Duren story. um, You know, like I said, we have the soundtrack. We have both of his original solo records uh, fleshed out with bonus tracks. And then this is the latest thing we've got by him.
0: It's funny that you uh, you mentioned this newfound appreciation for disco. I saw that uh, Omnivore is about to release something from the Silver Convention.
1: You are correct, that sir. Is, that is,
0: <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, I just, because I, I, I got a stack of KTEL records in my basement that uh, I, I don't know if I should be oh, yeah. proud to, to show or <laughs> bring upstairs yes. or, or what. Absolutely. The, yeah. But you know what? Fly Robin Fly is a great song. I don't care what anybody says.
1: It is. It is. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I know it. For a multitude of cultural reasons, um, probably little kids like you and me were supposed to not like disco. Um, (laughs) But I, I have to say, you know, like I've been truly poking around in it now for a bit. And there's just some really, there's something compelling about it. And maybe it's because... The repetition, I know, you know, it's made for dancing, but it also kind of plays to like sort of my crowdy side, you know, because <laughs> the repetition and I mean, I know they're not the same, but they're not dissimilar in the repetitiveness uh in which things are grounded, you know. So, you know, is it can? Is it silver convention? Right. I mean, what else do we have coming up here? Is it Ohio players or is it, you know, oh, sh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. actually by by the time this comes out we we will have announced this um the first uh, ohio players is ca- called observations in time uh-huh. it's pre-disco it, c- it came out on uh capital in like 69 but we have all this bonus stuff on it that that predates even that capital record so this is pre pre-disco ohio players it's it's really wow. it's pretty pretty fun
0: what so, I mean, what else is, is coming up? I know there's a number of projects still yet to come. Mm-hmm. What's on the calendar right now?
1: Well, we've got um, like i said, i'm 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 having a moment here. So we've got uh, Lenny Williams, a Lenny Williams title, a stylistics title, a Doris Troy title called Another Look. And it seems like when she she did these two singles on Midland International. And uh, on one of them, I saw, On the 45 it said from the forthcoming record another look and there's no record called another look it (laughs) was not forthcoming (laughs) um so i you know i had these couple of tracks that were on singles and 12 inches from the mid 70s and then my friend david nathan who people might know as the british ambassador of soul um he actually was friends with doris and produced some sides with her in, in like that late 70s, early 80s period. And I thought, there's the record. There's another look. So we built it with the things that came out on Midland International and then the the material that um, David put together. So one last Doris Troy record. Um, <laughs> then Silver Convention, Ohio Players. Uh, we've got some Record Store Day stuff coming up. I'm not sure when we're going to announce that. Um, I think the end of this week. So I can probably tell you, right? Sure, yeah. Sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> A little Richard record called Right Now from 1973 that he did right at the end of his time with Warner Reprise. He did it in one night, we think in Los Angeles, and <laughs> it was in the cutout bins for years. It was just, I think it was done for a record called, you uh, a label called United, and it was like budget fodder. But I picked it up and listened to it, and I was like, this is pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's really fun. Yeah. So we're going to um, issue that's, that's never been reissued. Um, so that that'll be on vinyl for record store day. And then we'll put it on CD digital after we have elongated the Dr. John at co Atlantic singles compilation from a couple years back. So that's going to be a double album for record store day. And um, I've been in conversations with the dr john estate about a bunch of stuff so oh that's very cool this, yeah i hope yeah. this is the first of many things and then um Ten Thousand maniacs we put out uh that record playing favorites and it now arrives on vinyl <laughs> 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 with some bonus stuff on, awesome. on the fourth side yeah, yeah. So that'll be good
0: you know it, it's funny I, I, I've, I've done a number of interviews with some people that a lot of their music for whatever reason Uh, either went unreleased or, you know, unreissued and Mm -hmm. their music fell into total obscurity. So it's always really great for me to hear that someone is either getting the rights to their music back and finally has the opportunity to release it. And you just, you know, you just, you can't help but think how much music has been lost over the years for, you know, reasons that are completely out of anyone's control. You know, there are yeah. certain gatekeepers that allow music to be released and certain gatekeepers that, you know, for whatever reason, suppress all this great music. And it's not just because it's bad. It just, you know, it's like one person right. saying, I'm not willing to write the check for this. And sure. and there's something really interesting when you when you hear an artist that that music finally gets released and you go, holy crap, how have I been denied this? You know, yeah. I, I'm always fascinated when, when that, Happens, and, I, and it, it's it's always great to hear that you're doing that with certain artists, you know, records that for whatever reason fell into, you know, into hiding, and to to finally right. get that exposure is really awesome.
1: Well, the hard I think hard the hard thing for super nerds like us, like super music <laughs> aficionados, let's call us ourselves that, is you know it it is the um, the grand chasm between what record companies really are. Mm-hmm. Which are businesses. <laughs> uh, you know, they're they're not in this for philanthropy or cultural historic heritage, anything, blah, blah, blah. They are there to make a buck. Sure. And unfortunately, you know, we've got a couple generations of of humans now that don't realize that they are are renting all of this stuff. And it can be pulled at any moment for the benefit of some shareholder somewhere. Yeah. So uh, I, I talked to a, a, an awful lot of students of various ages. And when I say that to them, you can just see the light go on above their heads. It's like, you mean I might not be able to listen to, you know, X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, yeah. So yeah. M- if you want to, maybe, I mean, think about it, you know?
0: Look, look at like Neil Young pulling his music from, from Spotify. Yeah you know this there's sure. just like 37 records that are, that are now gone that you right. really need to get the physical media to really enjoy you right. know what that guy put out and he is not the only person out there that's that's either done that on their own by their own choice or you know right. a record company has a has a a problem or you know it becomes a legal yeah. issue it happens all the yeah. time you're absolutely right ted you know there's a difference between the rental and uh, and owning stuff and if god if, we, if you and i only had the endless budget to own everything you know I get a lot of free records. <laughs> ah. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I, yeah, I did too. So <laughs>
1: yeah, here's here's the other thing, you know, and and just like a, a a bigger perspective, I think probably the best music ever made was made on somebody's back porch, and it dissipated into thin air, right? Yeah. So this it's it's very ephemeral, and you know the fact that we actually catch some of it, we catch some of these moments enough that we can share them and, you know, I can, I can replicate them a thousand times and, and you can buy them or rent them, um, <laughs> you know, that's a form of human expression and it is so ephemeral, it just disappears. And, you know, uh, there's, there's records that will never come back into print. There's a whole lot of them that shouldn't, right? Right. Cause you know, they probably were not great. Yeah. Um, but you know there there are things, and I, I kind of see you know my job has grown into being that of more of a uh, a storyteller, a storyteller for music, right? Like I try to throw this stuff into the future that that I dig, because <laughs> it, the time that we're living in right now is is um, we're straddling this digital era and and this physical era. And so things are going to be lost and that's, a that's just reality. And so, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in a very probably enviable position where I can take things and I can replicate them. You know, it's, it's sort of like preservation through proliferation. Right. <laughs> right. So right. I feel like if I make a thousand of something, it's a thousand times more likely to get to the little you or me 200 right. years from Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, as the years go by and you've got all these old tapes, I mean, you know, the, the you written know, in their souls, a perfectly good example. You were very lucky to have this stuff all on, on hard drives. If you had been searching for the original tapes, you know, who knows what kind of physical shape they might've been in, if they were in any shape at all. I, mean, I
1: would have, we had some, yeah. but here's the thing. I would have been really happy to have the originals. The, the flaws were twice baked in digitally by the time I got this stuff yeah you know so I mean that's that's a whole other lesson you know I mean if you go on um to Michael Graves is the restoration mastering guy on that project if you go on his website it's Osiris studio.com um you'll see there's tapes that were they were crusted in concrete Like we had to break the tape out of it because they were rescued from the building when they were going to plow over the stacks, original stacks building. Wow. So they were like in mud and, you know, and we got them to, they, they were playable. Yeah. So the thing is the physical tape media, it's, we can, we can rescue that. Um, What we can't rescue is flawed digital media at all. It's it's gone. It's gone. So there's, you know, I would, I would have, I would have, I would have been glad to have more concrete encrusted originals. But, you know, again, you know, it's not the it's the publisher's job is to make money. You know, yeah. the fact that they actually save this stuff in any way because uh, they threw out the originals.
0: But even there still, is- I mean, but, but, yeah, I've heard stories about, you know, tapes needed to be baked sure. to be able to, to restore. And yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I can't even imagine you you're chiseling chunks of concrete off of you know, tape yeah. that is already falling apart to begin with or, or yeah. maybe the concrete preserves them because they haven't been oxidized or any number of, you know, ridiculous yeah. things that could possibly happen to to tape.
1: We do bake tape a lot, but, um, that's only to get the, uh, moisture out of it. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so,
0: I, I'm so grateful that, you know, you're able to, to, to talk about the, you know, the stuff today. I'm so, I'm you know, I say this every time I talk to you. I'm, I'm so damn proud of what you've, you've done and, and accomplished and, and I am not the only Marquette alumni that feels this way about you. We're, we're just, <laughs> it's just an intensely proud of, uh, of what you've been able to accomplish. And and this box set, you know, like I said, this is like the big you know crown on your head. Cause I, I feel you in this whole thing and it's, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful to, to see that you are a part of this.
1: Well, that's really sweet. I, I thank you for all of that. That's, uh,
0: that's, that's. Too much. <laughs> no, it's not. It's well deserved, Too Cheryl. Much. It's well deserved. Yeah. I'm sure I'm not the only one or the first or last who will tell you that. It really is Well, remarkable. I love
1: talking to you. And if I have to go win another Grammy to talk to you again, nah. I guess I'll put that on my <laughs> list of things to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, at least at least I gave you a week to cool down before I contact you. I think I like, I, yeah, I don't I don't I want
1: am to-. sore. I think it's because I was wearing all those fancy clothes. Man. It, no, it it, a
0: it, it's from holding on to all four Grammys at once, Cheryl. That's what it's all about. stressing <laughs> them. Hey, it's it's great to talk to you again. Best of luck. We'll, I'm sure we will talk again soon, one way or another.
1: Thank you, sir. Take, Take care, care, Cheryl. Good to see you. Thanks.
0: Again, the name of Cheryl's Grammy Award-winning box set is called Written in Their Soul, the stack Songwriter Demos. You should also check out omnivorerecordings.com to see what else her company has been involved with. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to Metro Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram of Chicopee. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can also email me at Bax at rock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxy's Musical Podcast.